Welcome to Creepville. I'm your host, Stephanie, and today we're going to talk about the strange story of the Pigman of Northfield and Hotel Jerome in Aspen, Colorado. got my two little recording buddies in here, Benny and Lucy, my little puppies. Um, they're asleep though, so you probably won't hear anything from them. So today I'm going to talk about two different creepy stories and we're going to start with the Pigman of Northfield. Pigman is half pig, half man creature that has been spotted by a lot of people in the Vermont area. And now there are a few variations for the origin of Pigman, but one of the most common stories is from 1971. So when I researched Pigman, this story popped up a lot. So the story goes, one evening, a farmer in Northfield, Vermont, was hanging out in his house when he heard some really strange noises coming from outside. And so he turns on the light in his kitchen and looks at the window to see if he could figure out what was making the noise. I mean, he lives on a farm, there could be anything. And he probably thought he would see a skunk or some type of varmint, but nope, he saw some figure that was as big as a man, but was covered in hair and had the face of a pig. So this figure was lurking around his house and digging through his trash. Now, this is where I would tell the farmer to get a dog. Benny would have been all over that and barking long before some weird figure could even get close to the house. But what do you do? So the question is, what did this farmer see? The Pigman of Northfield, or sometimes called the Northfield Pigman, I'm going to probably just call him Pigman, is a legend that has been told for years in the town of Northfield, Vermont. The Pigman has been described as having hooves covered in white hair or fur, I don't, you know, could be both, I guess, and even as having talon-like claws. But no matter how much the small details vary, everyone describes the figure as being pig-like. And I guess we just have to go off the testimony of those that have seen the Pigman because there's no photos that have ever been taken of him. One of the earliest stories that I found of Pigman was an event that happened in 1951. So it was a night before Halloween and a 17-year-old boy named Sam Harris, he decided he wanted to go out exploring in the woods and go mess around in this town. He had a basket of eggs with him and so I think he was obviously wanting to stir up some type of mischief, but Sam never returned home and was actually never seen again. Some speculate that the pigman is actually Sam Harris, and they say that the devil possessed him that night, and he now haunts the towns as pigman. Um, apparently, Sam slaughters pigs and then hollows out the pig's head and wears the head while terrorizing towns. I don't know how they know he slaughters pigs, but makes sense, I guess. Uh, one of the most famous and frightening interactions with pigs Pigman involved a group of teenagers hanging out at their high school. Apparently, Pigman was watching them and knew they were there because he came out of the woods and ran towards them. Can you imagine just hanging out at your high school, being a teenager, and some creepy creature comes running out at you? Crazy. So the teenagers run inside their high school and they claimed that whatever just charged them was naked but covered in white fur and had a pig face. I kind of wonder what these kids were doing in the back of this school. Were they drinking, smoking something? I don't know. But honestly, there are a couple of explanations for why the kids were hanging out outside. Uh, one story states that the kids were drinking at night. See, I, I told you. And it was during, they were outside at night during a school dance. And another says that they were just hanging out. So who knows? Another version of the legend uh, goes that there was a pig farmer that lived in the forest outside of the town of Northfield. And the farmer was a recluse. He was just basically a hermit. He kept to himself, didn't interact with people in the town. But after a while, the town people started noticing some strange things going on at the farm. People started seeing strange ghost-like figures 
and hearing really strange sounds coming from this man's farm. And even stranger, some reported seeing the farmer walking through the forest at night, carrying a large bag and wearing weird outfits. I couldn't find what these outfits, like if anybody ever described these outfits, but apparently they were weird. So one night, some teenagers, they decided that they wanted to investigate the farm and see if they could figure out all the strange happenings going on at the farm. So they followed the trail that led from the town to the farmer's property. And when they got to the farm, they actually saw the farmer butchering one of his pigs, which to me, I mean, he's a farmer. That doesn't sound too out of the norm, but apparently something really freaky was happening because it frightened the kids so bad that they ran back to town completely freaked out. So like I said, I mean, what, how, how bad was this butchering? Because that sounds normal to me. He's a farmer, he's going to butcher his pigs. But um, I can't imagine it being so bad where they felt like they had to run for their life. So it makes me wonder actually how bad this really was. Um, like I said, the teenagers were so freaked out that when they got back to town, they just went straight to the police station and told them what they saw. Apparently the police believed them that this butchering was really creepy and they actually went out to the pig farm to investigate. But of course, when they got there, the farm was abandoned. I don't know if this happened on the same night that these these police officers went out there or a couple of weeks later, because regardless, the farm was abandoned when the police got there. Um, And the only thing that was actually left was a large pile of bones and the police assumed that these were the bones of the pigs he had butchered. But no one knows where he went or why he disappeared. I wonder if he disappeared because the kids saw him. I don't know. And again, I wonder what was he doing that freaked these kids out so bad that they felt like they had to report it to pl- to the police. A folklorist in the area, his name is Joseph Citro. He actually went on the search for this abandoned farm. But uh, Joseph, he's actually written a lot of books that discuss the sightings of Pigman. And in case you want to read any of those books, the titles are Weird New England, Green Mountains, Dark Tales, and Vermont Horror Comics. So Joseph went in search of Pigman, and he took some reporters from the Burlington Free Press with him, and they went to a place called Devil's Washbowl, which is about 15 minutes away from Northfield. Apparently in the Devil's Washbowl, there are caves that the Pigman has been reported to be hiding in. So on their way to Devil's Washbowl, they went to an abandoned farm where some locals told them that that's where the Pigman was coming from. And so when they got to this farm, they saw that it had a barn that was really rusted and it had bent metal and there were all the walls had holes in them um and the farmhouse it had broken windows and a boarded up entrance there is one picture of the house that i found and it shows the house with a broken window and inside the house there is a rope hanging and it, it almost looks like a noose which is really creepy but that day when they were at the abandoned farm they didn't spot pigman but Apparently, everyone was pretty creeped out and ready to leave the farm as soon as possible. So going back to the caves, uh, a lot of people believe that the pigman actually lives in the caves now. And people have been exploring the caves to see if they can catch a glimpse of pigman. Um, And they've also reported that they found piles of bones in some of the caves. And apparently when they've looked at them or had somebody look at them, they were determined to be pig bones, which is kind of strange. I found another story where some teenagers actually went up to the caves to camp and try to locate Pigman. I mean, we've all been teenagers. We've all done stuff like this. So when the teenagers were rolling out their sleeping bags and trying to start some fires, one of their friends started screaming. And when they went to find her, they found her curled up in the fetal position, crying, and her boyfriend was nowhere to be seen. Once she got herself together, she told the rest of the group that she and her boyfriend were setting up camp when Pigman came walking into their cave completely unaware, or at least not even bothered by her and her boyfriend. And so her boyfriend starts yelling at Pigman, and Pigman looks over at them, 
casually picks up a large rock and hits the boyfriend over the head. Then Pigman picks up the boyfriend and runs out of the cave. Okay, so one quick thing about this. Don't poke the bear. I feel like if you were in that cave and Pigman comes in and he just completely ignores you or doesn't see you, you quietly walk out of the cave. Don't poke the bear. (laughs) So the other teens, they start kind of wandering around to see if they can find the boyfriend or you know, a trace of maybe where Pigman took him. And they found, they actually found the rock with the blood on it and decided that at that point they need to go get help. Really good idea, teenagers. So some of the girls, they drove into town to tell the authorities and the boys stayed at camp in case the boyfriend or Pigman showed back up or both. So apparently some search parties were set up to look for the teenage boy and they did find some of his clothes at an abandoned farmhouse. And apparently those clothes were torn to pieces, but the teen was never found. One odd theory that I ran across on how Pigman came to be was that the farmer actually got a little too close to his pigs, if you know what I mean. And Pigman was a result of this closeness. (laughs) Just so gross. Maybe that's what the kids saw. They thought it was butchering, but it wasn't. I don't know. So, of course, the legend of Pigman, like many other legends, is often told as a cautionary tale to young children. Like I said, the earliest story I found of Pigman was 1951. So maybe it started out as parents warning them not warning their children not to wander off into the woods alone. And some versions of the story say that Pigman would kidnap or harm anyone who crossed his path, while others claim that he was just simply a mischievous and playful creature. So I guess maybe it depends on why you're telling the story, if you're just telling a campfire story or if you're trying to scare your kids. I don't know. But let's end the telling of this legend with an episode from Seinfeld. And this episode was called The Briss. So Kramer, he's in a hospital and he's looking for room 1397. So 1397. He's there to visit a couple that had just had a baby, but he gets confused and he actually starts looking for room 1937. And when he finds that room, 1937, he walks in and you know, the, there's a curtain, so he can't see who's in the bed, but right outside of the curtain, there's like this tray, uh, with food on it. So he opens the tray and he just takes the sandwich off the tray and starts eating it. Then he decides that he wants to peek behind the curtain and he's terrified by what he sees. He sees what he describes as Pigman. The man slash Pigman behind the curtain starts making pig sounds and Kramer runs out of the room as fast as he can. So once Framer, <laughs> so once Kramer actually finds the correct room, he bursts in and starts yelling about Pigman. And Jerry, George, and Elaine are there and trying to tell him there is no such thing and that he needs to basically just shut up. So later on in the episode, probably, you know, technically, I guess a few days later, Kramer runs into Jerry's apartment and he's waving in a newspaper and he shows everyone that the paper has an article explaining that the hospital received a grant to do DNA to do DNA research and this convinces Kramer that the government is behind it and maybe making an army of pigmen. And he even claims that the government has been experimenting on men, making them, turning them into pigmen, I guess, since the 1950s. Um, <laughs> so I don't know. Kramer later takes Jerry to the hospital to prove to him that this pigman actually exists. But when they get to the room, no one is there. Kramer finds a doctor and just basically freaks out on him trying to figure out where this pigman is. And Jerry is just done with it at this point and takes off to find George. George and Elaine. So later on in the episode, George and Elaine are standing in the hall at the hospital and all of a sudden they hear pig noises. So they look to the 
to the opposite side of the hall and they see Kramer running by with a small looking man on his back. But Kramer, I don't, I don't know what he thought he was going to do with the pig man. <laughs> Maybe free him. I don't know. But the pig man ends up stealing George's car and Kramer eventually realizes that he was completely wrong and admits that the pig man is quote, a fat little mental patient. <laughs> so while the pig man may have captivated imaginations and hunted the dreams of locals, it appears that the truth behind this creature is far less scary. It, it's likely that the legend of Pigman, like I said earlier, just served as a cautionary tale, warning children to stay away from the deep woods. So as I close this chapter on Pigman, it just leaves me wondering, and I guess more thinking about how powerful some of these legends can be and these folk tales, um, and really how enduring they can be. They can last for years and years and then kind of take on, you know, alternative versions of the story, alternative endings, alternative origins. I do think though that however fantastical these stories are, they often hold kernels of truth, which kind kind of reveal the fears, the beliefs, and the culture of a community. So that was Pigman. If you're ever in Vermont, try to get a picture of this guy because you could be famous for getting the first picture of him. But let's go ahead and go almost clear across the country to Colorado now and talk about Hotel Jerome. So Hotel Jerome first opened in 1889 during Aspen Silver Room. And it was named after Jerome Wheeler. He was a prominent figure in the silver industry, and he actually had the hotel built. Wheeler was born September 3rd, 1842 in Troy, New York, and his parents were Daniel Wheeler and Mary Emerson. His mother was actually cousins with Ralph Waldo Emerson, so that's kind of cool. Jerome went to public school until he was 15. Then he worked as a clerk, but he also pursued other trades like engineering and machine shop work. But later on, Jerome actually joined the military and he enlisted as a private in the 6th Regiment New York Volunteer Cavalry. And he actually joined on his 20th birthday, which was also around the same time that the Civil War began. So he did end up fighting in the Civil War. And luckily, he fought on the Union side. Go Jerome. So throughout the years of his service, he ended up making the rank of colonel. But unfortunately, he had that rank revoked when he went against orders. So apparently, he decided that he was going to bring supplies to some starving army soldiers. I guess these soldiers, they were behind enemy lines and they weren't, they weren't getting any food or any supplies and he wanted to bring them supplies. Well, he was told that he couldn't, but he decided he wanted to go ahead and do it anyways. And because of that, he was actually, like I said, his rank was taken from him, which I don't know, that's kind of crappy. He's just trying to feed his fellow soldiers. And I, I, I don't know, I guess I don't really know military stuff, but could have maybe caused more problems. But I don't know, to take his rank, that seems harsh. But he was discharged from the army in September of 1865. When he got back to New York, he married a Harriet Macy Valentine in 1870. And they had a daughter named Marion Wheeler. So back in New York, he started working as an accountant and he had numerous jobs in the state of New York before moving to Colorado in 1883. And he actually decided to move to Colorado because he spent some time in Colorado and fell in love with the mountains, which beautiful. How can you not? FYI, I'm a little biased because I was born and raised in Colorado. So I think it's the most beautiful state out there. He actually invested in the mining industry in the Aspen, Colorado area. And he did this by building a tramway that would bring ore down from the mountain to where it was to be processed in any smelter. Wheeler spent quite a bit of time in Colorado and he actually died in Colorado in 1918, but his body was sent back to New York to be buried. Um, he didn't just build the Hotel Jerome, he actually built numerous buildings around the Aspen area. And he spent about a million dollars on each building that he built. So he built the Wheeler Opera House, the Wheeler Stollard House, which he never lived in this home. He built a bank and of course, 
the Hotel Jerome, which is where the creepiness begins. The Hotel Jerome is considered Aspen's original luxury hotel. And just in case you don't know anything about Aspen, Aspen is a prominent town in Colorado. It was founded in 1879 as a mining town during Colorado's silver boom. And the city boomed during the 1880s, but soon ended when the silver when the silver market collapsed in 1893. And these years are often referred to as the quiet years. But after the collapse, Aspen's population declined and the town was pretty stagnant, almost a ghost town. However, Aspen did start growing again around the 1950s when a ski resort opened up on Aspen Mountain. And many of the buildings in Aspen were bought up by wealthy investors and they redeveloped these buildings. By the 1970s, Aspen was really booming again, but this time it was booming with celebrities. And Aspen has continued to prosper ever since. So like I said earlier, the Hotel Jerome was built in 1889, a few years before the collapse or the quiet years. The hotel is a three-story brick building and it's on the corner of East Main Street in downtown Aspen. The inside of the hotel has a lot of original finishes. The lobby has been completely restored and it's kind of cool. I saw some pictures online and it has these black and gold pillars and a big fireplace and dark walls. It just kind of makes the hotel feel cozy and quiet. Uh, The first floor has meeting rooms, a restaurant, swimming pool, grand ballroom, and the famous J-Bar. The upper floors consist of 94 guest rooms. Now, Wheeler didn't own the hotel for long. He actually sold it before the collapse in 1892, and he sold it to a Denver businessman, Archie Fisk, for $125,000, which would be 4.1 million today. But Fisk, he couldn't pay the taxes in 1893, so Wheeler actually bought it back. But Wheeler himself fell on financial hard times and actually went bankrupt. So he sold the hotel in 1911 to a local businessman named Mansour Alicia. Mansour actually worked at the hotel at one point as a bartender, and he owned the hotel until his death in 1935, and then his son Lawrence took over the hotel. So let's get into some of the creepy stories that are tied to the hotel. After all, it's supposed to be one of the most haunted hotels in Aspen. During the Spanish flu epidemic, the hotel's lobby was actually turned into a morgue, and Mansour's daughter, Ella, she actually died of the Spanish flu, and I have to wonder if she died in the hotel. I mean, a lot of people, you know, who run hotels will actually live at the hotel with their families. And so I kind of wonder if she died there and, you know, then was basically there in the morgue section of the hotel. So I couldn't really find any haunting stories about his daughter, Ella, but I feel like there has to be something there. And even if it's not Ella, maybe other hauntings from other people, even if it's not Ella, I I feel like there's got to be something there. I mean, it was a morgue for crying out loud. But one of the most common sightings at the hotel is that of a little boy. And sometimes this little boy is referred to as the water boy. So most people report just seeing this little boy standing in the hall. And as they get closer to the boy, he just poof, disappears. But he either leaves behind a small pool of water or wet footprints. And many people, they see that when they actually see him, he is in a towel and is wet and shivering. So the story goes that this little boy was 10 years old when he was staying at the hotel with his family in 1936. Um, The family was staying in room 310, which looks over the pool. And sadly, this little boy one day was swimming in the pool and tragically drowned. So his presence has really freaked out some of the staff so badly that they refused to work there anymore and quit their job. 
Now, while some are completely terrified of this little boy, others have described him as friendly but mischievous. And I guess there's um, a few reports that he will actually follow the security guard around, which I thought was kind of cute. I guess, unless you're the security guard, maybe the security guard probably doesn't think it's that cute, but who knows. In 1997, the general manager of the hotel told the Aspen Daily News that one night he got a call from one of the guests. And this guest was reporting that there was a little boy who seemed lost in the hallway. But when the general manager went to look for the boy, he couldn't find him and neither could the guest. So it was probably the little boy who drowned. I did try finding the little boy's name by looking in newspaper databases, but I had no luck. I thought that maybe there would be an obituary or a death notice or even just a quick blurb that says, you know, tragic death at the Hotel Jerome, something like that. But I, I couldn't find anything. So another common haunting is that of Henry O'Callister. And Henry, he actually made a lot of money in the mining industry. And since Aspen, Colorado had a mining boom at that time, uh, Henry actually moved to Aspen and lived in the Hotel Jerome. At the same time that he was there, a girl named Clarissa Wellington was staying at the Hotel Jerome too with her father, who was a wealthy businessman. And these two met and fell in love. So of course the two, they wanted to get married and spend their lives together, but her father was not on board with this. And he refused to give his permission. So Clarissa, she turned down the marriage proposal and returned to Boston with her father. Henry, he stayed in Aspen and actually passed away at the hotel. It was said that he became pretty depressed after she left and spent most of his fortune on booze until he died of a broken heart. So guests and employees actually report hearing a man sobbing at night and he has been seen wandering the halls. Poor guy, that's a sad way to spend your afterlife. Just broken hearted, not good. So another story, and this one, this one made me really sad. It revolves, this story revolves around a young girl named Katie Kerrigan. And she was working at the hotel as a maid back in 1892, and she was 16 years old. She was described as being really beautiful, and she kind of captivated a lot of the the guests at the hotel, and especially the wealthy guests. And this didn't sit well with her coworkers. It actually made them pretty jealous. So this led to the maids playing pranks on her. They would do things like hide her cleaning supplies and just just mean stuff like that. So the worst prank and the last prank that the maids played on Katie was they told Katie that her beloved kitten fell through the ice of a nearby pond. So of course, Katie, she rushes out to the pond to try to rescue the kitten, but she finds herself submerged in icy waters and the kitten's not there. So she's probably, you know, looking around. She's probably got in the water to see if she could find the kitten. And Katie actually eventually had to be rescued from the water. And this incident, it took a huge toll on her health and she tragically got pneumonia and passed away from this. So throughout the years, hotel staff have reported experiencing her presence. A lot of the maids actually report that they will go into a room to make the bed or clean up the room. And when they go in there, the bed is made and the room looks great, but no other workers have entered the room. However, on other occasions, rooms that have already been cleaned and prepared and ready for guests were discovered in complete disarray upon the guest's arrival. Um, So she's been known to do things like leave soapy water in the sink. Uh, Another thing she does is she turns up the heat in the rooms, which of course she doesn't want to be cold. I mean, that's how she passed away. So I don't know, that story kind of broke my heart. There is a local tour guide in Aspen and his name is Dean Weiler and he actually does historical walking tours. In a 2012 interview with the Aspen Times, he told the reporter that he hears all sorts of creepy stories that happen at the Hotel Jerome, but he doesn't always feel 
feel comfortable just sharing these stories until he's been able to vet them a little bit. He wants to do research and make sure that there is some truth to this story, which I can respect. I mean, you want to make sure that there's some sort of history there and not just somebody telling stories just to tell stories. So for example, one story that he was looking into was that of a woman who was either murdered or hanged herself in the library section of the hotel. And apparently it was also her wedding night, which is really creepy. One of the bartenders said that every once in a while he will see a woman walking through the library section and she's walking towards like the employee section. So she's going towards some like storage closet kind of thing. So of course he goes to investigate because that's not where guests should be. But when he gets there, nobody is there. Uh, Dean also heard a story that a security guard would see a woman looking into one of the hotel's security cameras. And this always happens at night. But of course, when he goes to investigate, no one is there. This really creeped me out. I, I just imagine like, you know, in the movies where the security guard, he's, you know, in like the security room or whatever, and there's all those computer screens and he's watching all the different cameras. Can't even imagine having this like woman all of a sudden pop up in one of the screens. Ugh, so creepy. And it's what's really weird is like she has to know that this is a camera or something because she's looking into it every night. Yeah, I don't know. I don't like that story. Dean actually, he feels like there could be a lot of paranormal stuff going on in the hotel, but he's he says that he thinks that most of the activity is pretty harmless, but he has talked to a couple of employees at the hotel who actually feel like there's a really evil spirit there. So I don't know. It's, I guess, you know, just depends on what you experience or what you've what kind of experience you've had at the hotel. Well, that is it for Creepyville today. Thank you for listening to this episode. I hope you enjoyed it and I will see you next time. 